And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 627. We're going to talk some hot stoves, some late round DC strategy and picks. And in order to do so, I've got a special guest. You know, you, some might know him as, you know, Mike Curland. You can, you know, MLB Playing Time guy, um, MLB Playing Time.com guy. He's on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. But today, his alter ego is on the show. Mr. King Curlin joins us. So Mike or King, I don't know what to call you anymore. How are we doing today? Also known as Big Bobby Cox, you know. Bobby Cox, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh man, I don't want to do the voice because the voice is very questionable, say the least. However, I brought the uh I brought the appearance. So those on YouTube, I hope you can appreciate it. For those who uh, are watching wherever, hope you can appreciate it. But yeah, man, appreciate it. always always fun coming on here and uh, chopping things up, of course. Yep, it'll be fun. It was uh, just you guys are as surprised as I am because I did not know this was coming until he logged in. So uh-huh. it'll yeah. be fun. It'll be entertaining on a Wednesday morning as it's, like it's nine o'clock my time. When we were Drinking an energy drink, wearing yeah, this looks very, it's like very Bobby Cox style <laughs> very... right there. Yeah. Yeah, you got to, you know, use that with your food stamp so you can pay for your three different baby mama's child support. It's how hey, Bobby Cox operates. I only have so. two baby mamas and one oh. on child support. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> that that, 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 that little stereotype you know right there hit home right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good it's all good i'm a good um, father i swear before you are a great father that's why it's funny it's uh before we get uh, into the hot stove and everything you've been busting your butt on your mlb playing time.com so much so everybody know what's going on there and uh uh it's, it's it's pretty your teams are done at least so that that's pretty fun yeah they are done i can share the screen again i know you put this on youtube right so yeah, we yeah can, you can share. perfect i'll share the screen and um, we can talk about the site a little bit just because it's gonna be a cheap plug so it's up whenever you want to add it if you want to add it to the you thing anyway it's great for you know people want to see uh, want to hear that right so uh, this is it man it's uh mlb playing time.com i'm gonna probably get the domain mlb pt so people can shorthand it because we're all lazy i'm gonna all appreciate five letters.com right Mm-hmm. but uh so pretty much what i did was i took my niche over you know over the last few years i've been kind of building on it thinking what can i do to keep improving on it to keep adding to it this came to it so we have all the projected lineups and it's it acts sort of like a roster resource but i obviously find myself disagreeing with them so i got all 30 teams done you click on a team and it redirects you to the page and it's not you know it's it is what it is this is it's a google doc i'm able to upload to the site to where i can update it live behind the scenes and all that so you do so it's one of those things where and it locks so you can't screw it up on the thing but it has uh lefties righties like so it has the matchups or lineups projected lineups for lefties for righties i happen to pick the dodgers go figure but uh yeah it's and it shows all the hitters on the 40 man so it's right now it's only hitters only lineups i made a point to do lefty and righty lineups because these days every team pretty much has two lineups and i look at it like well, that's, you know, that's kind of the new norm. So I wanted to make sure we can show that. And then I color code it with like players I see being part time, short side platoons, uh, strong side platoons. And then I have a note section that helps give a little added context, whether it be stats, um, recent trends, whatever it might be. It'll kind of just be thrown in there to help justify what's going on and maybe give reasoning to what why I'm so different from roster resource, because we know roster resource is kind of the gospel of everything like that's where everyone references anyway and i wanted to kind of not just give competition but so like i also don't agree with a lot of what they're doing in terms of like their projected lineups especially early in the offseason i think as we get closer to the offseason we'll mesh a lot more but there's times where even throughout the season i don't find it to be correct so i wanted to do my own thing so i'm, I'm just switching pages because i can't help myself but yeah so that was what the per- that's what kind of what like the idea of like well i'm doing this already I wanted to kind of give another resource for people to kind of look at because I know and then I have people like, you know, 
your boy, your boy, because I got to be on brand here. Your boy, right? Bloom. Uh, he messaged me, was like, yeah, man, you know, because he's appreciating. He loves it. He uses it in conjunction with Ross Resource. And I think that's a great idea. I'm not saying use mine over Ross Resource, although obviously I will always say use mine over them just because I trust my product. But I think it's a, if nothing else, pull it up, look at theirs and see the differences. And then at least you can look at my notes and maybe my notes will cover why. I don't make a point to directly cover why usually. I just make a point to explain why I do certain things the way I do. So um, sometimes it gives you the answer. Sometimes it doesn't. Just hit me up on Twitter or X or it's called and uh, you can do that. But beyond the beyond all 30 teams being live on the site right now and updated as as like live as moves happen, I also have um, pretty much little write-ups. Like I'll take a couple signings like, you know, Teoscar, Vaughn, the Luke, the trades, whatever. I'll break them down. So then you can go like so when you look at the stuff, there's write-ups on all that playing time reports. So I've been calling them. Uh, right now, lately, I did a little series on the NL catchers. I went team by team looking at trends and like who gets the DH spots and all that. I know I'm rambling on and on, but what I wanted to emphasize is that if it's about playing time, this site is covering it. We also have um, on the lineup charts. If you go down again, if you pick a team, we'll pick the Braves this time on the very bottom. And I'm gonna, I'll do a video for, for Twitter as well, probably so people know. But I have it. So you can see the tabs. The, the spring training sheets are so oh, moving stuff. They're starting to get on the site. So you'll see that's where all the spring training lineups are going to be. They're going to be every roster is going to have different tabs for the spring training sheets. All the weeks are going to be there and you can that way you'll be able to see my updated notes, um, every lineup throughout all of spring training for every for all 30 teams. So that's going to be unique to the site. And I don't know if a site that has all that in one place. So and yeah, all my write ups and all that have a home now. So, yeah, it's kind of like just taking the niche and like this site is playing time roster trends um, mo just just for hitters right now. Eventually, I will, you know expand for pitchers probably i never i said i wouldn't get writers and stuff like that but i really do think i need to get somebody to do rps and sps if only i knew people mm -hmm. that did rps and sps that but no i don't think george and mike want to do that because then uh that would defeat the purpose of why we took a step back right yeah yeah the guy would <laughs> defeat but, the whole thing but in all seriousness though it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like i took my passion put it into a, like a little site project and it's, it's doing rather well all things considered like i was surprised just how well people and people really are utilizing it and you know it's really rewarding to see people valuing my opinion on things because i do put the legwork into my fit my stuff my process is very labor intensive i go through and i really put an emphasis on playing time in my, in my evaluations. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm putting it, I, I enjoy it. It's actually a fun hobby that people look at it like it's a lot of work and I guess it is, but I'm usually like right now I'm home alone. I'm home alone five days a week with my kids and wife at work and school. So, or three out of five days a week, usually because my work schedule. So I have a lot of downtime. So people, people laugh at the whole, like, I, I mean, you know, I made an announcement about how I'm step, taking a step back. I do just when my kids and wife are home, people just don't realize that, People think people don't realize that how much downtime I actually have. That's my, that's the problem. So yeah, anyway, I'm rambling. I've talked for like five minutes now. I think people are sick of hearing me. We can go on with what we're doing. But I just wanted to. I guess this was a free plug. Sorry to use your platform for that. But no, that's what I, I wanted. I really hear. believe. I really that's believe I in my. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to hear for. That's why I gave you a hard time. I said, let me know when your teams are done, so I can actually have <laughs> you on the show to promote it. So uh, when he, he wrapped it up, we started. Getting ready to do it. I I, um, I think it's a great tool. I, I give my constructive feedback, you know, because I can talk to Curlin uh, on the side in different ways, like brothers talk to each other. I don't know <laughs> why you would do that, but and so um, it's uh, it's going to be a great site. Obviously, a lot of people are utilizing it, and it's going to keep growing. So I'm looking forward to it because I'm like most of us have all really enjoyed your your playing time stuff, your spring training stuff, and now it's all in one stop shop. And uh, 
it's free for now so that's fun as well <laughs> and um, it's it's gonna stay free i'm just looking at ways to be obviously because everything's coming out of pocket every, yeah. and cl- including the amount of time i put into it so i'm gonna find a way to monetize something if it's adding some ads or i'm what i'm thinking is like for the first year do nothing and then take the numbers from like you know take all my hey here's my here's all my clicks here's my viewers i'm anticipating you know maybe 10 percent growth year two as i grow the fault whatever it might be and maybe shop ad space like just because i don't want ads i don't want ads on the site popping up and getting in the way of everything i hate that as a user i, yep. I and i don't want and i don't want to go the fan graphs route of like bogging down the site so much that you almost have to pay for it which i yeah. don't want to throw shade i understand and trust me it's such a great resource it's worth paying for i really do believe that but i hate that if you don't pay for it you can't it's the site will crash and stuff it, it yeah. drives me crazy. Not so well, i just look at look at fan tracks i talk about it all the time like i i try to like read an article once in a while especially that injury article the daily one that comes out from sports nuts and there's certain days i can't even scroll to the bottom of the article and finish it because it's just like just on my yeah. phone just so many ads just it's gone so and so i don't want to i don't want to go that route so i'm thinking like maybe i can sell ad space or maybe i can just come up with a concept like you know how for for the first year i did the patreon it was just me and george and i would do my write-ups there behind a very cheap paywall on the patreon maybe i can because i'm gonna do that's my the big reason why i'm the big step back for at least me and i don't know i I know you're still full go but uh i'm not doing because i was doing like five or six write-ups a week minimum like that was lineups and the the other stuff the um the daily like i'd go on savant and just recap stuff daily there too I'm not doing that. That's where like I can run a site easier than I can write six team by team breakdowns of things like that. That's that shows you how much work those things were. Right. So like, yeah, I rather run. I rather run a site and just do as I please. But I was thinking like if I did like a playing time report on Monday, that's not helping people in fab leagues. Right. People want stuff on Sunday. So maybe I do my playing time report for free on Mondays for those who don't play NFC. But then most people that utilize this type of information play high stakes and play NFC and play fab. So maybe I offer it for like for a, a low amount on and it's out sunday mornings as like a fa, it's like a fab slash playing time report so you can get all the information for before fab and that way i'm still getting some monetization while still keeping true to my word of keeping it free well, everything this is all behind the scenes stuff that curlin yes. is letting you letting you know about so it, it's where my head's stuff. at but uh, the last thing i'll say and i don't even want your comics we're gonna go to the hot stuff mm-hmm. we're gonna get to the outline here now the last thing i say is i think you should just open up a discord because you love it so much so go ahead and do that and uh I can be a big, big fan. (laughs) Let's go to the hot stove, everybody, and let's talk about the act, the transactions, like we do on my weekly show with a guest. Is what whatever transpires since the last episode, we're going to talk about. Obviously, some are very not relevant, but it might affect playing time. So we'll talk about it with Curlin. But uh, the first move we're going to talk about that took place after the show was the Mariners trading Robbie Ray to the Gigantes for Mitch Haniger and Anthony DeSclafani. As a Giants fan, I like it just for like 2025 and beyond. I like the idea of getting ready for the price and all this stuff. Handiger, I, I never wanted in the first place, so gone. Disco's Disco is an extra piece. There obviously are domino effects to Handiger going to the outfield in Seattle, and there'll be a trade we'll talk about too that even adds to the outfield conundrum in Seattle. So what's your thoughts on this Robbie Ray for Handiger and DiScofani trade? Well, I think it's actually kind of a win-win for both teams. I think – we all know the Giants. One thing they do have is depth of mediocrity, and I think Hanager was among that. <laughs> so what you did was you dumped the salary. You almost because they exchange the whole point of this was also to exchange salaries, right? Like Hanager and Ray make yep. similar. Yeah, so they, I know the, the Giants are was it the Giants sent money, or yeah, the Giants like sent more money to even out. Like so, it, was, it wasn't a salary dump. It was even money. Yeah, so it wasn't. It was more so like a, it was a salary. There was no salary dump involved. It was like, hey, we'll take your scraps, you take ours. But I think Robbie Ray is a better piece for that Giants team 
than Haniger is. So I think that I think the the Giants addressed what should be pitching concerns probably in the second half. I mean, starting the second half, Ray could return all that good stuff. And then um, Hitch Hanniger is a much needed righty bat or not even righty, just an outfielder in that lineup. They need, they had like the second, the second half of that Seattle lineup before these trades, like you mentioned, we'll get to it shortly, but was very uh, questionable. To say the least you had Taylor Trammell, Cade Marlowe, and you know, I love Marlowe, but I'm realistic of what his, he's more of a fourth outfielder type. I'm aware as much as I love him, I get it. And um, then you also had uh, Dominic Canzone, which again, it kind of goes right into the next trade, and we'll talk more about those, like the fallout of it all. But at the end of the day, those were the three main guys getting the playing time, and now they filled. So there was obviously a need for bats and outfielders, and the managers went out and uh, addressed it while while keeping. They they had depth of S- at SP already, and they know how to develop it. So this company will turn into a good solid SP six, probably get some meaningful innings at some point for them. Is how I look at it. Yep. I don't think he's starting for them day one, but I do think he's either a long relief guy and then gets those spot starts as needed. Like if Wu's injured or if Bryce Miller struggles or whatever it might be, this finds the next man up. So I think it's just a good move from both sides of things. Yeah, it's uh, the Giants kind of adding depth for the future without having like, because if you look at what Robbie Ray could potentially do for the price point of what's going on the market these days, not bad at all. It's it's a good little move in that regard, but uh it, it trimmed fat. Giants had excess outfielders and whatnot. Hanager, I'm just not a fan of either because he's always hurt and a, a, a lit, litany of other things I've talked about. I actually wrote about these trades that took place that day also. And uh, Disco, I'm, I'm with you. He's, this, he's the long reliever for now. He'll probably still get close to 100 innings or so because he'll make probably 10 starts between all the young pitchers and injuries and whatnot. That's just a given. But it's, it's actually good for Disco because he's never – He's had a couple years with a ton of innings. Otherwise, it's been a, a rocky road for him as well. And um, could be a spot starter guy, maybe a streamer throughout the season, but nothing I'm too excited about. Not even at a DC. I'm not even really looking at D. Sclafani as a target of mine. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it changes things in the outfield for the Mariners. I'll just transition to this one because we can do a really deep into the Mariners situation. The Mariners then traded Jose Caballero to the Rays for Luke Rayleigh. And this one stung my core. Like, I – Hated this because I loved Luke Rayleigh at his first base outfield slash DH situation in Tampa, basically playing against every right-handed pitcher. So he's going to play 110, 120-something games, power, speed. I loved that upside for a guy like Luke Rayleigh. What's your thoughts here? Because I have my thoughts where it's obviously if I hate it, it's not good for what's taking place here. So how do you see this playing out in Seattle now? They have added Hanniger. They've added Rayleigh. You mentioned Canzone. You mentioned Marlowe. J-Rod's not going anywhere. So – how, how do you see this playing out? So you and I have very different views. I see this as a positive for Rayleigh, actually. I think he goes from a maybe plays five out of seven days against even against like five out of every six righties type of thing where like because that's how he kind of trended. I know he trended. I know he started off. I know Rayleigh started off really hot, slowed way down. But then you turn around and he was on this team with the Rays that was super crowded that I don't think his role was as secure. And now he goes to the Mariners where I don't think they wanted to depend on Marlowe's bat can zone. We all want to see get, get a shot, but he's not a great fielder. Not that Rayleigh's great either, but I think really probably was better. I'd have to look at the numbers actually, to be honest, but I'm assuming because can zone didn't set the bar very high. He was like, Rayleigh I think was, Rayleigh was good. He was like nine, top of my head, like 19 homers, 14 steals, something like that. Like, I'm pulling it up now, but I'm, he, I meant like defensively, though. Oh, defensively, I can't help because that's where I think that's where we, I, I think that's where a lot of this playing time stuff also we overlook it on the fantasy side of things. And I think we went back to the, talking about this last year was, um, that's, so I put a lot of value into defensive metrics when I start looking at 
like what could be a tiebreaker and rarely obviously having a really strong year overall offensively coming in with at the very least left field he was a zero outs above average and that's average and then a two drs kind of the two main defensive metrics i look at personally and he was above average with his arm too it looks like but uh yeah those are the uh those are the stats i kind of look at these days for defense and he was a positive or or neutral in both Whereas Canzone is like a negative in both, or was last year. Not saying Canzone can't develop, but I think Canzone's best path to playing time and to keep the bat in line was to DH, and then they filled it with Garver and backfilled it again with Mitch, uh, with uh, Hanniger, the Mitches. Yeah. So it's one of the things where Canzone, I think, takes the biggest hit here. I think Rayleigh's going to be a starter every day against, at least against righties. I think he's a strong side platoon partner and might even get a shot against lefties because I don't know how much they want to depend on Trammell. I don't think, oh no, they have Haggerty and. Uh, Dylan Moore and those guys, but even yeah. then, I think rarely has a shot to even get a chance against lefties. I don't think he's. I don't think he succeeds and keeps a shot. Keeps his job against lefties, but I do think he can get a look at him. So personally, I like this move. I guess you aren't as optimistic as I am, but I think it's a, a slight stock up for Rayleigh and Hanniger. I think he's kind of. I think he was already in a mostly regular role. I think he's gonna play mostly regular. I think he's the one who plays five out of seven games overall with a heavy emphasis on getting lefties. And he'll get he'll say against tougher righties because they have so many lefty bats that um remember how Mike Ford was utilized last year where yeah. Mike Ford would like play three out of four righties he was a strict platoon guy but I felt like I feel like Hanniger could be like that guy where he's just gonna be there he'll play five out of seven overall almost every week and just kind of be there and be good not great useful in DCs over stretches when you have injuries but. I'm not overly. I I like Rayleigh a lot more than Hanniger for reference out of this whole. Like, and, and I think he's the biggest winner and the biggest loser being Canzone out of the group. A personal opinion on the matter. Yeah, I'm really just like obviously curious how this plays out. But uh, like I look at Rayleigh last year, and obviously different team, but it was um, 35 games at first, 65 in the outfield, 18 at DH. So we spread it out everywhere. Again, Rays being a different ball club, but it just makes me wonder: do the uh, Mariners just leave him in the outfield because Ty France is playing first. DH is locked up, like you said. So that's where I got concerned is there's really no outs where he had them in Tampa Bay to play all over the place when they move pieces around. That's my concern when I look at Luke Rayleigh is where is he? Is he going to be strictly in the outfield? And we'll see that he very well could be. Like you said, it's, it's an option. It's just not as comforting as it was for me when I was looking at the Rays and all the different Situations avenues different yeah. avenues to play in time and ty france the thing about ty france is he's not great defensively at first base and no. offensively he's been every bit of underwhelming as uh, it's well, like he's we going all, to driveline man and that's honestly a reason for optimism i really is I, I know we all laugh at that but let's be honest a guy with that a guy with like france who has the contact skill like he doesn't strike out he just doesn't so if he can learn to i think our biggest concern was always like hey can you just get the ball in the air a little more there's very little swing and miss. We're talking over 90% Z contact over the last three years in each last three years for Ty France. France has skills. He just can't. He just doesn't. You, I, he has contact skills. He elevated the ball more than ever last year, or at least the most over the last three years. 41.8% ground ball rate for France isn't bad. So I think he was already kind of working on that. And I, I think he was banged up. He always doesn't he always deal with injury. France is always dinged up. And I feel like he's he's, he gets hit by a pitch more like anybody in baseball. That's what it is. Yeah, so it's one of those. It's by the way, it's really hard to do this. With these glasses on. But here we I are. Knew it, I knew it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, Ty France, I do think driveline is good for him. I'd like to think that he's the type of hitter that can benefit from like maybe giving up a little bit of that contact skill, and maybe selling out a little bit for power. I think France is good enough to get away with that type of thing, almost like a Paredes type where Paredes is really good at putting the bat on the ball, even though like 
you look at everyone talks about oh the approach that we all know the approach is legit the metrics won't back it i think france has the ability to be that but it's very very much the you can't bank on that you know it's he he is what he is until proven otherwise it's hard to just change who you are in one offseason so but at the end of the day i guess it's my way of saying that france is not necessarily guaranteed uh full time so i can see rarely even getting some first uh, first base reps against righties because it's just one of those things where over his career, let's I mean, let's look up Francis' career numbers against righties. Oh, he's been 117 the RC plus guy. Okay, so he's actually been really good against righties. Last year, I know he kind of was like off years. He's had a down year with the injuries and everything quite a bit. Last year, he was roughly league average, but like a sub 700 OPS against righties. It was six, 698. So it's one of those things where if he doesn't improve, does he start seeding plate appearances against righties? Like, does he fall right into that Mitch Hanniger role where he's getting five out of seven games overall? And rarely gets that more regular playing time at first and outfield as long as he's producing, which allows Canzone to get in in the outfield if they move rarely to first. And so I think it's going to work itself out for rarely is what I'm getting at here. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be fun. Like there's that's where my brain's yeah, at. <laughs> we'll see for sure. Uh, let's go to the Caballero side uh, coming to Tampa Bay. And I know initially you are not on my side on this one, but you have transferred to my side on this one with Caballero because I, I said, OK, well, here's their shortstop. It's convenient. This trade happened like a day or two after all the uh, stuff down south where someone went to jail and everything. Um, so it, it makes sense that Caballero's going to be the short – at least I think he's going to be the shortstop. He's a utility player, but he played all over the diamond. He can play shortstop because the biggest thing, we look at Tampa Bay, like roster resource had Taylor Walls. He's not even going to start the year. He's hurt. Like he's not even eligible to start the year essentially. People are hoping Junior Camonero could be the guy at short, and that's still an option obviously, but his defense at short ain't great. Like it's just it's not a good thing. And you got Paredes and Yandi out there. So do you want to keep him and Camonero up there? That's another conversation. But what's your thoughts on Caballero? Because I think it moves him into shortstop. And you know, when you look at uh, ADP over the last like you know, 10 drafts, he becomes very, very interesting um at an ADP of 566, as high as 446. So what's your thoughts there? So Cabanero, I did. He was in the write up I did recently as well, because obviously, I, I, just like you, I cover all these moves just because it's part of the what I'm trying to do with the site, right? Like, obviously, I have to cover these moves, but um, I that's what opened my eyes. That I didn't realize how good he was, and it, it was a small sample, but a four DRS and two outs above average again defensively. The the Rays do value a good defensive def- defensive shortstop. That's why Walls was even oh, such a regular last year, because his defense is usually better than average and he can play multiple positions well i think caballero comes in and takes over that role and i think i was behind on the walls news i knew walls was injured or possibly injured i didn't realize that it's like i've heard reports that he's training towards being ready for opening day which in which case that would i think he still makes the team then and he just becomes a utility player i'm still giving caballero yeah. the edge because i think caballero is a at least a league average bat whereas walls is not league average yeah. so i'm looking at caballero 89.5 percent the contact last year and nine point one percent swing strike rate both are well above well better than league average so that strong contact skill and plus speed i do i project in the bat ninth and play every day for them as shortstop personally so that's where i have him and that's why i view him as i think he's a speed guy i think he's i think he's helped for speed playing time and pair those two together he's a reserve round guy for the middle infield which is helpful and i think he's multi-position eligibility isn't he Shortstop, as I say, as you get you get that upside as well. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of that move yeah, for the Rays. I was, it was a great Rays move. I was behind. Sense. I was behind on that one because I just didn't realize how far behind Walls was. So I was really set. I'm like, well, Walls is their guy. They showed that over and over again. And then at first I was like, Cameron Arrow's the guy. And then I saw quotes yesterday. I was like, oh, I don't know if Cameron Arrow's going to make the team because now you can argue, well, he's 20 years old for one. Two, do they want now that with Wander – who knows if he ever plays again? Do they go yeah. and say, screw it? Let's see if we can make Caminero a, def- a shortstop defensively. And that could be their excuse to drag him out down in the, the minors, minors for a little bit, too. 
because he actually has to work on because everyone knows he's defense. He's not that's not Cameron Hayward's strength. So they can justify various paths to putting him in the minors, which already concerns me for Cameron Arrow's upside or 2024 upside or projection. So Cameron Arrow went from being like, I started him off at shortstop, moved him off shortstop for walls. This is like, this is the project. This is how it went. And then from, and then after having Cameron Arrow as DH regular, I saw the quotes and this was from a December 5th article. It was just, wasn't a Twitter popular article. It was an article I found from on like the Tampa Bay Tribune from like a notable writer. I think it was Mark Tompkins. Tompkin, actually. Yeah. So I think it was actually like a legitimate, like it wasn't like some guy with a blog like me just making stuff up as they go. Right. It was a guy that actually has an insight to the, to the, uh, so I took it. I uh, posted the issue on, on X for people to read. If they were curious about the quotes and I posted the link to the whole article, but um, it sounded like a, it was a very much a coach speak way. It almost like it set them up for, an out to send them down regardless of how he does in spring. I'm ta- I'm taking more of an op- a pessimistic view on the matter, unfortunately. So Caminero is a guy that I think, and then one of these moves we're about to talk about affects him just as much as well. So it's like, um, I, so at the end of the day, Caminero, I've slowly moved off of him completely. I pushed walls to the bench. I'm going to push him a little bench once we know if he's healthy for now. And, um, but Caminero, so it's a long winded way of saying Caballero is definitely, who I'm projecting to start a shortstop, and I think, and I was a couple days behind on that. my initial projection wasn't that, but then when I really I dove into the walls thing, where I was like, oh, I missed because I missed the surgery thing. I missed when he had surgery. I knew he had surgery. I didn't realize it was like as re- recent as it was. Yep. So we'll see how that one plays out. Uh, you mentioned the other move. We'll jump to that real quick. The Cardinals traded Richie Palacios to the Rays for Andrew Kittredge, and I loved this move because, well, to me, it was basically taking Luke Rayleigh's spot in my mind. Like that's what Richie's going to do. He's got some pop and some speed, a lot of similar profile for me of like just the, the baseline stuff without digging too deep into it. A lot of similar stuff there when you look at the two. And um, Palacios is a guy that I was already talking oh. um, between Joshua and Richie. Uh, but Richie's ADP is 664, as high as 581 over the last 10 drafts. He's only gone in eight of the 10 drafts. So I, I'm very intrigued with a guy like Palacios. So how do you see this one playing out? I think Palacios is going to move up boards, probably rightfully so, but I, I'm afraid people are going to overreact because, like, look what look where Rayleigh was going, and I, I don't know if Palacios will make it that high, but I think he's going to obviously move up because now there's a more clear path to playing time, and I think when the Rays go out and get a player like this, right after trading away a player that they kind of were utilizing a certain role, I think that opens everyone's eyes like, okay, so what are they seeing Palacios? I don't think Palacios has the ability to play as many positions, like the first base, yeah, no. But I don't no. think they need him there. I think Palacios, can, he'll be the fourth outfield type, DH more. He wasn't great in the field, so that kind of stood out to me that he wasn't a great defender when I looked into things uh, for Palacios last year. But he can play multiple positions, which is important. Um, he, he he has played some second base in the past for Cleveland, so I'm not saying that that's going to happen at the big league level. And the last thing the Rays need is probably a middle infield option. But yeah. other than the outfield, I don't see much of a path to playing time, so probably DH. But what I, what I found very intriguing about Palacios, looking into him, obviously we all know how how strong he finished, was the fact that he had a 90, 90.3% Z contact. Again, very, very strong zone contact rate. What 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 is in, What's appealing is that it reminds me of this profile, reminded me a lot of um, Paredes in terms of just being very pull fly ball centric. He had a 13.1% pulled fly ball rate. And when you look at like I was looking at uh, Chamberlain's chart because he has the pull fly ball metric on the chart for the hitters, which is very helpful. Uh, he over the second half, Palacios was like one of the top fifteen or twenty in pull fly ball rate. So, and this was I think it was like right there with or more than uh, Paredes. So I think they saw this approach change in his profile, which led to more barrels, more hard hits. Because you know, again, you're whatever it might be, it's usually part of that approach. I think he saw, but 
again, it goes back to what I was talking about with France. France has a very similar contact skill. So if France can be as effective pulling them on the air. I think there's that, there's that path to path to some power projection that maybe won't be in the projections or the profile prior to, you know, that change. So Plastios, I think projects, it has a very similar potential. I don't want to call him Paredes because that's like, that's, that's, that's not fair. Cause that's because what Paredes is doing is already, you can argue he's already kind of the exception to the rule to assume that, Palacios could be another exception to the rules, not fair, but he did show a similar skill set or ability in a very small sample. So I think the Rays are going to try to take that and build on it. And I do like him because of that. Yeah, Palacios could be the next Didi Gregorius. He was always a pull to right field home run guy as well. So could be fun. And we always know how Cardinals uh, outfielders that leave do yes. when they go somewhere else. So that's just a fun storyline because now they traded O'Neill and Palacios in the same season. Given Palacios originally was a guardian, but you know, we can still have fun with it because the Cardinals Twitter will. Uh, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, to see how that one plays out uh, with Palacios. I think it's a nice little fit to at least take the Rayleigh outfield spot in the platoon situation and see where he can go from there. Uh, a couple minor moves here. Rocky signed Dakota Hudson, Jacob Stallings. That doesn't do anything for me unless I'm playing DFS. What about you? Um, no, Stallings. And that's the funny part. I don't understand the signing for Stallings. I yeah, guess. Seattle ISD is Andy. Well, because they went and because Brian Servan left and that's, went to the Cubs. That's the only thing I can think of. Um, I don't want people to overthink because everyone knows Stallings as that defensive guy. So people might be afraid because I, I think that's what people might be afraid of. Oh, they went out and got Stallings. Is that going to hurt Diaz? I don't think so because no. Stallings defensively, since he just so what moves with the Pirates, amazing. With the Marlins, he's been rather like pedestrian to awful. <laughs> like his metrics took a huge step back all across the board defensively. So Stallings is a guy that unless he finds that again, we're talking about a guy who that had a 21 DRS and 8.8 frame uh, rating in 2021 since being with the Marlins that dipped to negative nine and negative 4.3 and zero and negative one. So like he was, <laughs> he never really had that strong defense after we, after we like I'm a Marlin, like I'm part of the organization after the Marlins acquired him. So it's one of those things where can he find it again or is it kind of, okay, he had those three years of really strong defense and then it just fell off for whatever reason. So I don't yeah. think, so if the defense isn't there for Stallings, this is strictly a depth move as a second catcher. So I wouldn't be worried about D- Diaz. Just one of, one of those things I felt like was worth t- touching on because I think people might've been mildly concerned because they they everyone just views uh stallings blindly as a defensive upgrade or a defensive catcher type of thing he's he's no austin hedges you know good point very good point no austin hedges that is for damn sure jesus christ <laughs> um brian Servin going to the cubs i tweeted about it and i you, you would have appreciated it because you got me on miguel amaya uh last year i miss uh, I, I tweeted it when they signed brian Servin. i said can you guys just leave miguel amaya alone please like they brought young gomes back okay whatever gomes is, i've always been a gomes fan like if he plays, he's produced his fantasy wise at least. Uh, but I thought this was the time to like let Miguel Amaya spread his wings and go. They bring Brian Servin in. Do you think this shuts Amaya's you know start to the year down, or how, how do you think this one plays out when you look at it? Um, I still I don't think they just I I don't think they stunt Amaya's growth for this guy for Servin. No, I think Servin just acts as a depth for the the team as a whole. I, I'd be surprised if he took that spot man uh, unless they unless they really want to be like you know what we're gonna go we want you to get every day at bats amaya we'll put you exactly. that's the only thing i think of is that would be the only thing that makes any sense they want every day at bats for Maya because you know serving he has two options he he's nothing special he's not helping this but this team wants to win now so i don't know if they want to even do that like i think they'd rather have Amaya part-time than no time i think both catchers can have plenty of uh plate appearances so or at least I think Gomes is the guy, but I think Amaya can get enough to not stunt his growth as a prospect or what they prove, maybe what they view him as. A couple days a week, DH a couple days a week, 
Yeah. I, he could still get his for I sure. I think Amaya gets like I think Amaya can fit into like three days almost similar like well maybe not quite Herrera for the Cardinals because I, I know you talk I about think... this on your catcher podcast with uh Bloom so yeah. I hate that I hate that you're because the second you guys start talking about Herrera I know you guys are gonna have some effect on the market because I've heard some talk I heard um also Rob D talk about him with, a little bit with um what's his face uh James Anderson on Rotowire. Yeah. so people are taking notice in that young kid and I think he's a great yeah. fallback uh or bet or depth at catcher so it's one of those things where it's like I think Herrera's gonna be more more I think Herrera's more relevant than Amaya, but I think what I'm getting at is I think Amaya can have a very similar role initially, you know, a three days a week type of thing, and goes from there. Yep, and I have those two ranked right next to each other. I can so see why. Makes ton of sense. I would, but yeah, I like Herrera as well. It's going to be like more. Herrera. Um, okay. Make sure I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, I'm yeah with you I, I like Herrera. I talk, like I said, I talked about him. I, when I wrote about him for the Black Book, it really, really, really opened my eyes to yeah. the way the, the, the like playing time, all kinds of things with Herrera. So, yeah, I think there's a definite avenue to success on that one. Let's go to the New York Mets. They went and signed Sean Manaya. Like, honestly, as a Giants fan, the way he finished, I'm like, bring him back. Let him pitch for Melvin. The guy might utilize him correctly because Manaya was pissed last year by the way they utilized him in that rotation. He, him and Kapler did not see eye to eye on things. That Shocker. was one, very, very clear. Uh, and in September, when he started like regularly, he pitched phenomenally for Sean Manaya. Um, I thought this was a nice, cheap move by the Mets, a, a Mets team that Senga, Quintana, Severino, Manaya, Hauser, like not murderers row, but dudes that can eat innings. So what's your thoughts on the Sean Manaya to um the Mets, especially when you look at uh ADP wise? Uh this is uh you where I can't spell. That's my problem. He has an uh ADP of about four hundred over the last ten drafts. Oh, well, yeah, I think that's fine. Like I don't I'm he's not somebody to go out of my way to get type of thing, but I mean, there's a. It's one of those things where he's innings. There is some upside. I, I view him with some upside, honestly, just because I think that there's a. Uh, I think that there's that 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 sweeper. We don't know how he's going to utilize it for, for over a full season. Can he build off of that? He's back at drive line again. He, we saw last time that when I went to drive line, he added like four miles per hour, which is ridiculous. And I know he wouldn't be able to hold that through games sometimes. So maybe that he can build off that and actually hold the velo like throughout full starts, five, like five inning starts, maybe. Um, there's that's why I'm like there's some upside, but you're not drafting him as a starter. He's a he's only DC relevant and right now a streamer in 15s. Yeah, he's a guy that uh he, I have no problem with him. I like him. I do like him, and I'm okay with the cost. So it's like yeah, I have no problem taking him there. I'm trying to think who if I'm trying to go see who's around him. I did the DCs over the last whatever range you gave me. It's it's 12 drafts. I'm saying so. You and I are already on different uh, ADPs apparently. Well, on the outline, I used 12, 18 last 10 drafts for the rest of the ADP. So I figured you would have utilized that potentially. <laughs> I did. I did. I put 12, 18 to 110 on DC to one nine. Oh, the sorry. Was made. <laughs> oh, sorry. I added to that. So we have. I have a larger sample. It's still 399. Whatever. It's fine. You fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> so excuse me for using. Oh no, I just plugged in one nine, dude. I twelve eighteen to one nine. It's still showing me twelve drafts. Okay, do it. Oh. Do what you gotta do. Talk. Redraft. I'm really good at talking. Or re- refresh your page, maybe. Um, or re or rerun it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. My point being is, I want to see who's around him because, like, it's easy to say, "Oh yeah, I like it," but do I? Um, I rather have him over Tom Walker, JP Sears. I think I prefer Sears. But it's one of those things where I can I can see it. No, I don't like Eric Fettywop at all. Um, I don't buy Clevenger. No, thank you. So yeah, I guess I do like the price because I'm looking at I'm looking at the other players around him. That's how I gauge if I actually like a player or not. Like, okay, cool. Well, who's around him? I see the like I see him as kind of a clear like who I would prefer out of these names. So yeah, 
I like them. I can say that with confidence. Yep, yep, yep. I'm there. I got some Mania shares. I know that for a fact. Um, let's go to some of the fun moves now, the bigger moves since last week. And we'll start with Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, goes to the Dodgers because everyone goes for the Dodgers. Um, ADP, money, of, baby. ADP of 152. He's gone as high as 135. I'm guessing that's one of the drafts post-Dodger signing. Um, I had shares of Teoscar before this. I was very much in on him because wherever he went, I was happy. I liked how he um, finished the season with Seattle. The, the skills were, were still looking pretty decent there. And now, obviously, he goes to the Dodgers where, God forbid, they have more success. So how are you seeing this one play out for Teoscar Hernandez? Because um, this should be a, a very nice situation for him to uh, succeed. Yeah, I, I just I think that's what it is. I do think Hernandez, because obviously with Otani there, there's no chance of DH at bat, so that's going to hurt Hernandez. But I do think Hernandez is pretty much going to be an everyday guy. I, I, I think I think they're he's going to be treated just like everyone else. He's going he's to play six out of seven. They don't. It doesn't affect the person that affects the most. And I think I see I saw Vlad, uh, and Vlad's a, a, a Dodger guy, so maybe I shouldn't question Vlad too much on this one. But he's talking about how he thinks. Uh, uh, um, Hayward would be more effective than Vargas, and I have a hard time buying that just because. Hayward has to learn the position more. Uh, Hayward was a, a plus defender in the outfield last year and a plus hitter against righties. So I have a hard time unless, obviously, if you're baking in the fact that Hayward just kind of falters, then sure, I, I understand you're banking against, you're banking on him not repeating. And I, that's a, probably a favorable expectation, to be honest. But Hayward showed legitimate skill change and all that. So I don't know. I'm still kind of in on Hayward. So I'm more so personally, like, worried about Vargas's playing time. I think Vargas can easily make a super util, but they already have that in Chris Taylor. They have Margot for a fourth. They have DeLuca. They have they have all these things that they don't need Vargas on the roster right now. They don't and have that's Luke, they don't have DeLuca anymore. Not, they don't have DeLuca. Sorry, they have, Tampa Bay. they have uh Margot, they have Taylor, they have Rojas. I just pulled up Ta- the thing. What I want to ask you about the Taylor <sighs> thing, it seems like he's the one that takes the biggest hit to me. I already see Oscar, but like I see on you, you have them facing lefties and you move Hayward. So you think Hayward and Taylor are the platoon, huh? I think Hayward and Taylor are the platoon. Yeah. I think, and I think uh, we could see Margot and Margot's going to get in there. So like Outman's, like I could probably make, I can argue Outman against lefties is part time. I just think our Outman gets a shot right away. So I, I, but Margot, so it could easily be Margot and honestly, Margot and Hayward probably being the platoon with Taylor platooning other positions. They maybe they move. When you know, um, I don't know, maybe he maybe Taylor plays shortstop over Rojas. I don't know, I think Rojas's glove kind of secures him there because the Dodgers do like a, a, a defense, a good, good defensive uh, shortstop. So, I wonder how Taylor and Margot are going to coexist because those guys definitely have to be more so the weak side platoon guys. But now, unless, unless Outman is in a platoon, and I'm I just didn't want to project it that way, but. When you look at it, like, are they just going to say, screw it? We're going to Margot, we're going to get the most use we can out of Margot before he gets injured, and we know he can hit lefties. So, is that when Margot does get that playing time nod over Outman? I could I, see that. But I could I don't, see it too. That's that's something that I don't really think about a ton until we start talking about it here. And that would really suck for someone like myself that likes Outman I, quite a bit. I'm just not. I'm not projecting that yet. I still have Outman as an everyday guy personally, but something's got to give because, like you said, and but I already had Taylor as. I had him marked as a part-time player because I know he will. Like he'll be the first guy that gets a shot. Like when boot, when when boots when the Mookie bets, bets <laughs> when Mookie bets needs a day off, Taylor's gonna play second. When uh, 
if Freeman gets a day off, they'll shuffle things around. Muncy goes the first maybe, and then Taylor plays third. So I think Taylor will play three out of seven, three out of six type of thing, like kind of the role he was in last year. But I think Taylor gets the, the strong side, the weak side of a platoon with some added playing time against right. He's nothing crazy. Whereas Margot, I think, is more of a pigeonhole weak side platoon guy and then fourth outfielder against righties. So Margot will get similar two to three starts a week but it'll be lefties, strictly lefties, and the occasional righty. So really, it's uh, I think people don't assume Lux is – I think Lux is guaranteed the platoon, given how they used them up until – like, obviously, we didn't get a chance to see how they utilized them last year. But I don't think you carry Miguel Rojas into the season without the idea of utilizing him on his strong side, and his defense is still pretty good unless I check. So, yeah, I don't this, know. I'm, this, I'm becomes, this becomes just an interesting topic just because, like – so you have Lux, who I know myself and others were excited about coming back, second base outfit eligible – ADP of 240 as high as 184. Now, if he platoons, that's still strong side, but is he worth that ADP? Probably not. Um, so that that's interesting. Like Margot and Hayward are both going late enough where it's like, okay, whatever. In a DC, have your fun if you so choose. But Outman with an ADP of 185 as high as 161, that's where the conversation gets really interesting for me. Like, do you have do you have the um is it worth it when you when you think about it? Because like you you mentioned other you look around him, and I have 12 drafts now, by the way. Um, you have, like, Isak Predis goes right before him, Nolan Gorman going right after Outman. If you look outfielders, you have Brandon Nimmo going a little bit after Outman. There's not, not a ton of outfielders in this range. Lars Newbar goes even farther. So it's not a lot of outfielders in general. It's either, like, take a pitcher or another positional player. A lot of, lot of pitchers in this range. So it really makes you kind of think, at least me, as a guy that liked Outman, liked the upside of playing, like, 75% of the time, which he still could. Uh, I still but, see him playing like solid eighty percent overall. Like I, I don't think he, again. I'm I can't I keep, don't project him as a weak side platoon guy. But the names you mentioned, just for reference, um, I do like Paredes more. Gorman, I'm I think Gorman's actually more likely to platoon, so I'm less in on Gorman than I am on Outman and other hitters in this area. I'm just trying to find any Tovar. Not thank many. you. It's a lot of pitchers. Lot Maybe of pitchers. And, and that's why like, I have a couple Outman, but they were early because I think now I kind of land on pitching here. So I think I'm more likely to get a pitcher or or even one of the catchers that are in this area. Like you guys see Mitch Garver's right there. But then also if I like Outman, what what's I, I feel like I feel like he's part of that skill set that's like once we get into the next set of hitters, you can kind of pick and choose. Like I know Outman's more of a power and speed, but if I want power, I could just go Hoskins if I want a little bit of power and speed with a little less pop. Lars new bars right there. So it's like yeah. there's options right around him. That's like, I can wait on and get similar enough production, or at least like I can go a different direction offensively and get close to at least one or the other in terms of power or speed production. So that's why it's like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, but I, I, I'm not fading out. though because I have a couple shares. I'm just, I don't know. I, I do think this adds to the, I think what this does is if, if he, if Outman starts with a full-time job, which I expect him to, I think the leash is short is all it is against lefties. It just adds more wrinkles to it. Uh, live mm-hmm. from Germany, Eric Cross says, I have no words for Curland. So um, that's fun stuff. Let's <sighs> talk about the last move on this signing section. Shoto Amanaga signs with Chicago Cubs. ADP of 221 as high as 197. Uh, it's just it's much needed depth, let's say, for the Chicago Cubs when you uh, when you look at things here because you got you know Justin Steele and his sex appeal that's really great leading the way. Jamison Tyon, but then you got Amonaga, Kyle Hendricks, Jordan Wicks. They still need more pitching, honestly. But uh, I was hoping the Giants would get them. I think we all did, at least all Giants fans. And another guy that just goes away because the Giants can't close. Like they don't. No coffee gets drank in San Francisco, and people. <laughs> Might know that reference. I don't know. But um, Amonaga going to the Cubs, what are your thoughts here? Because I, I kind of liked him. His ADP will climb, though. 
Yeah, I don't know, man, because um, I saw somebody mention that he could be a little fly ball prone, and in that park, you don't want to have too many fly balls. So I don't know. We'll, I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak on on him. I can't speak on how do you say his last name? Monaga. I call it a Monaga. Could totally Monaga. be it. Not That's the problem. I, I wish I need to hear. The problem is, is I've never heard it either. Yeah, so I've never heard it either. Other than other people saying it, but anyway, um, I don't know enough about him to give a proper assessment. Like I've I've read about him. I've seen his arsenal. I've tweeted about his arsenal. Like what's being said about it. I don't know if he. Like, I can go look at his BRF page, but how will that play up? I think that if there's a, there's a reason why teams were so in on him, I just I look in this range and you expect him to go up as well. So I see players here. I feel more comfortable with is what it is. I think. So if I want some upside, sure, I see it. But, like, do I really want him more than Ryan Pepio, who's going ahead of him right now? But I feel like we're talking 30 picks, second, or, yeah, about 30 picks, so what, two rounds? I can see a little bump now that he has a home. Does he land with, around Shane Baz where there's equal unknowns but better team contacts for Baz? Um, stuff like that. So and that's why it's like I have a hard time seeing – I think people are going to jump him up higher because people are just going to get excited about Imanaga. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not really all that in on him. But real quick, Cross has no words, but I have an energy drink and – even more on brand i have beef jerky oh god here we go (laughs) but all right that'll wrap up our hot stove section and uh let's see what we can do here i I put some late round adp bubbles we're gonna talk target strategy um a lot of it's obviously gonna be roster construction based i know curlin's gonna talk about that as we go on but that's just the way any draft goes especially we're starting at adp 300 so we're starting to hit reserve rounds here. We'll go 3 to 350, pick one, 51 to 400, four, so on and so forth, all the way down to about 650 and see where things go from there. So, uh, Curlin, we're going to start with ADPs 3 to 350. I used from 12 18s. So you have 12 drafts if you'd like. Um, what are we thinking when you um, look at yeah, a target potentially in this range? So this is where I wanted to talk on at least strategy, what I've been trying to do – so my first three DCs, I hated two of them. I did it largely off feel. One of them was so early that the up the, the, the positions weren't updated, so I screwed up my bench really badly because once they updated, I didn't have half the position eligibility anymore. So that was a rookie mistake that I shouldn't be making because I'm not a rookie at the same more, but it is what it is. That's what happens when you – that's the perk of drafting early, right? You get to have fun. And by fun, I mean it's miserable because I just look at that team and hate it. But I digress. So when we enter this range, I like to start looking at, A, obviously I'm trying to fill out the rest of my roster because like, there's a guy here, I'll talk about him in a second, just who I usually end up with lately. And it's not even because he's a target target, it's just who I end up with. But um, I like to, right around here is where I start looking at multi-positional guys because I like to start off my bench with a guy who could play two positions. I think that's a great <laughs> firm foundation. So guys like Wilmer Flores popped to me here. Yep. Um, Luke Rayleigh just inside the top 350 um he's obviously dual position eligible who else has it um bryce terang now you know how much i love him last year haven't gotten a lot of them this year but if you fall like say you just like oh speed is so easy to come by well sometimes you think that and you forget to draft it and if you're like oh wait i need speed and i need middle infield bryce terang sitting there with second base shortstop he's gonna play almost every day and we know the speed is there for terang so Guys like this is kind of where i usually land on right around here just because it kind of sets you up for success because now if i have Wilmer flores I'm looking at, you know, as you're looking at later rounds, you're looking at your roster, the sh- and you should do what you mentioned on the one podcast. I, I, I think that was a really good thing for you and uh, Bloom to mention. If you're doing these DCs, pull up the uh, roster grid, and you can see, like, as you're going through, I'm like, oh, crap, I only have two first basemen. Oh, wait, no, I have, and I remember, like, I go, look, I have Luke Rayleigh, or I have Wilmer Flores. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, he plays there, too, so I really have three, so I can, it gives me a little more 
it gives me a little more ways to play around with the later picks. And I think those later picks, like, you still want to worry about, you want to, I, I like to have certain, you know, check certain boxes with my picks. So these guys, I think, are a really strong way to start your your reserve rounds. That's all. So I know it was a little bit of a rant, but uh, real quick, the guy sure. I've been landing, the guy I've been landing on, and there's not really a whole lot of analysis here. It's just comments are just keeps falling to me. And I don't even, I'm, I'm not even targeting him. I just keep taking him because I always end up needing corner infield with power. And Manzardo was like, check, check. <laughs> so he's a guy that I just keep like, I know he's not even like, he's not technically guaranteed to make the team, but I'd be so surprised if they don't make, if they make him start in the minor leagues, even as cheap as the Guardians are. That would be ridiculous at this point. I feel like we all can agree to that. Yep. So Manzardo's a guy I just kind of land on because it, it feels like a, it feels very Anthony Rizzo-ish, like I don't know, like guy mid mid to upper twenties in home runs, two fifty plus batting average. I know Rizzo can hit for higher, but I'm thinking like older Rizzo that was like before the injuries really got to him, where he the shift would kill his average, but he would still put up the twenty five to thirty home runs and hit like around two fifty ish. I feel like that's what I'm expecting out of Nzardo. I'm curious what his projections are, honestly, but. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind that at all. I think there's definitely some upside with Manzardo. Uh, I love a lot of those guys you mentioned. Flores has been a target mm-hmm. of mine. Terang I just took in my recent DC with that uh, speed and multi-position flexibility. I always love my multi-position guy. That's why I, I pound the Luis Rangifo drum as much as people might get annoyed by it. The dude has playing time all over the diamond, which is which is beautiful for a format like this. But uh, in this range for me, outside of like, I would almost put Wilmer Flores, but I don't want to go full homer right out the gate. It's a great uh, pick, though, especially now is. with Hanager. Hanager's out of the way. Hanager was one of the people projected to get in the way for like DH at bats. Yeah, no, Flores will play a ton. Plus, the Giants are old, so people get hurt. Like Flores will mm-hmm. play a lot. Like even if he just platoons at first base with Lamont Wade, like that'll get him out there. Then someone will get hurt in the middle of the field. Like it just goes everywhere. But um, the other guy I put down here is Matt Walner. I know there's a lot more people talking about Walner. I know I think Curlin put out even a tweet with Walner the other day. Uh, his second half power was ridiculous. Uh, he's still kind of in the strong side of a platoon with the Twins right now uh, going into the season. But as a whole, that power is re- like just awesome. We want outfield depth in D.C. as we talk about. A guy that can provide that kind of power. Like uh, I'm a big fan of what Walner could do. So similar to your Manzardo, I like Walner for a, a similar reason as well. Yeah, Walner. I haven't gotten any of them, but I'm not opposed to it because if you, you want to hit on that depth for outfield – and you want power upside, Walner checks those boxes. He's a he's what Joey Gallo used to be like for us now, but we've learned to not chase that skill set earlier than we need to. So definitely. Uh three four three fifty-one to four hundred. Who are a target or two that you're looking at here? Well, this one's interesting because I'm not I'm not huge on Jake Cronenworth, but say I say if I go Walner or a pitcher, my first reserve round pick. I like Cronenworth that goes back to the eligibility thing because I know he's gonna play every day and, and he has first and second base. So he's a guy I'll settle for, not necessarily a target, just a guy that I think as boring and crappy as he is. Same thing with LeMahieu. These are guys that are just going to play every day. I really like what we saw with Michael Massey in the second half. He's another guy. I, I actually just landed on him. He did fall a little bit in this last draft, but um, he, I just landed on him, and I really enjoy, I really like him. But one of my favorite targets is Lamont Wade. And, yeah, he's probably going to platoon, but we know he can actually play above platooning, So we know he'll, but we know he's playing is kind of the point here. And he checks the other boxes of playing first base and outfield. So it's just, it's just, I'm a sucker for it, man. I'm a sucker for it in the early reserve rounds because it just allows me so much more um, uh, the ability to just kind of play with some upside picks later on or like, okay, I don't need this position as much or I have depth at it. And 
I like to hammer home playing time and depth in the reserve rounds. I don't just chase the upside. There are some upside plays. Like I really like Garrett Mitchell lately because ever, ever since they traded away um, Tyrone Taylor, I think we know. I think Garrett Mitchell gets the first crack at a strong side platoon role. So I've been getting Garrett Mitchell as my fifth outfielder. And just knowing I have to get some depth and I like to rotate outfielders anyway. So Gary Mitchell is another guy I really like because I think remember last year the hype was there and he was showing out a little bit in spring, if I remember correctly, before injuring himself. Yep. So the, I think there's um I think we just it's a post-hype guy. I think we I think we've kind of collectively forgotten about how good he can be or potentially can be. I know Sherio and um we uh Weimer there, and that kind of adds to a little bit of the the um, unknown. But I think Garrett Mitchell gets at the very least a strong side platoon, so he's a guy that between him and Lamont Wade, I usually land on one of those guys in that range. I have so much Lamont Wade right now. I should probably <laughs> start transitioning somewhere else. But for that first base outfit, like you mentioned, I'm a big fan of the two guys I kind of had circled here. If you want to bat, I do like DJ LeMahieu. I know people get old, like annoyed with him because he's getting so old. But he's first base, third base. Um, he's potentially going to lead off for the Yankees at least at, at certain times. I actually need to. I'm going to click on see what you have projected for DJ. Um, yeah, you have him leading off versus lefties, which I'm a fan of, and then he still plays versus righties. He's going to play a lot in a very yeah. good lineup, I think. So, like, playing time is harder and harder to find the deeper in these drafts you go, obviously. So, a guy like DJ and his flexibility, I like. Uh, on the flip side, though, pitching, uh, James MacArthur of the Royals. I know there's a lot of debate. Is it MacArthur? Is it Anderson? You know, Will Smith's there. Uh, talking with Kevin Hastings on my Royals preview, like, um, Will Smith's the only lefty in that pen, so there's a good chance he gets utilized all kinds of places. Nick Anderson's interesting if they want to trade him, but MacArthur's not ARB eligible for a couple years, and he's the guy that the Royals want to be the closer. So I think just a chance to get a potential closer this late, or at least maybe 15, 20 saves. And I mentioned, if you want, Anderson goes like 200 picks later, double dip right there, and you got the Royal saves, potentially all, all 30 of them. So um, have fun with that. But MacArthur's a guy, if you want to go later, that uh, I've been uh, targeting as well. 401 to 450. What are you looking at, big uh, big Bobby Cox? Well, I'm going with a old masher because that's big Bobby Cox style. I'm a sucker for Carlos Santana over and over again because I think he's going to land. I'm personally thinking he's going to land with Milwaukee again. We saw how good Santana was for Milwaukee. They have Jake Bowers, and I don't think Jake Bowers is enough of a reason to not let Santana play every day and let Jake Bowers be your util guy. I don't see why they don't just bring Santana back. He's already been linked to three teams, so I think – coming i think playing i think he's gonna be somewhere that's the thing I, I really like santana and i know that i know i can probably bank on 20 to 25 home runs the um the dude as old as he is he's like ageless because he just continues to have the same skill set doesn't strike out makes a ton of contact the uh he, we finally saw the babbit bounce back a little bit and all it took him was having a 255 babbit to hit 240 with 23 home runs last year so santana's a guy that he's boring he's old but he just is consistent as consistent gets, and I don't think that even at 37, I don't think the I don't think I think he's gonna age just fine for another year. And I just kind of like get him and don't even think twice. He's just a guy, and I feel bad. I'm not giving any pitchers. So real quick, I'll just mention going back to just being steady. I just think that there's three here. I usually go with one that's very steady in Kyle Gibson because I just I feel like you know you're getting Kyle Gibson. You're getting innings. You're getting production. Nothing sexy, nothing flashy. I turn around and if I don't go for him, say I built really strong, I'll go for Casey Mize because I think there's some. I think there's a floor there that is somewhat safe because you know he's going to be healthy-ish this year, at least to start the year probably. And we know Casey Mize has some upside. But then of course my boy Max Meyer over in Miami. I think if you want to take a shot on some like full-on upside, we know Max Meyer is a former top pick. We know the Marlins can develop pitching. 
and you're kind of betting on all that coming together. Not to mention this team's been the Miami's been linked to uh, selling off a few, like selling off pitchers and like, you know, possibly, and they're talking about making puck, putting puck back into the rotation, all that. I think Max Meyer is going to get a shot. And we all know that when a pitcher comes up for Miami as a starter, there's reason for excitement. And I think Max Meyer at this range is a really solid um, gamble. For sure. Uh, I, I even put on the outline, quote unquote, this is the fun range. I think there's a yeah. lot of lot of ways to go here. Like Sean Manaya is almost at 400. We kind of we could you could use him as one, but like I love the idea of Davis Schneider. We saw the good and the bad. There was a lot of bad, but a lot of good. Going to play second base pretty regularly for Toronto. So again, playing time at that point in the draft, I like quite a bit. Um, you know, Quintana's boring, but it's innings. I'd rather have Gibson, like you said, but it's boring innings, which you want. I love Alex Cobb. Like getting the hip surgery, I think is tremendous for him. So I'm a big Alex Cobb guy. I have a ton of shares at 418 uh, ADP here. And then like Mark Connick could be kind of interesting. The guy I picked is Ryan Noda at 426. Uh, he had the injury last season that kind of derailed a, a pretty solid season. Still a lot of strikeouts, but that can be improved on. The OBP skills are ridiculous. Going to lead off first righties. Um, there is some nice 20 plus home run power there as well. But again, guy that'll play pretty much every single day. And Ryan Noda, so I love that at this point in the draft. There's there's a few other guys. This is a fun fun range uh, in this four to four fifty where you can like jump ADP and get them a couple rounds earlier if you want. Just kind of pepper this range, do whatever you prefer. But it's definitely a, a section you can have some fun. Four fifty to six hundred or to five hundred. Sorry, four fifty to five hundred. <laughs> like, yeah, four fifty to five hundred. What are you looking at here? Uh, this is also this goes so the, you've we've entered the. Um, Take your shots on what you think. Like, do you want upside? Do you want playing time? Because I think this is kind of where we like you start entering less upside. Because there's just, I think there's more uncertainty in the prospects in this range, right? Like, I see guys like Colson Montgomery. I personally am out on him, so I'm not touching him there. But if you believe in, you believe he's going to play, you take him here because this is great upside. But there's guys like, um, where was I? I was just, I just had him highlighted and I moved off him because I squirreled looking at, uh, looking at, uh, what's his face, Montgomery, but, um. Guys like Curtis Mead, if you believe that he can carve out some playing time in Tampa, that's a fun little upside play. But and there's actual and there's a clear path to playing time uh, than it might seem. Jeff Hoffman, if you're chasing saves, you've heard his name floated around plenty from other like uh, Yaz. I think Yaz is vastly underappreciated because I think Yaz is going to play a lot and he's going he's, so he's late, really good defensively compared to what else. And the he wasn't. He, and he wasn't that bad offensively. I think the batting average was a bit of a question last he year. Had, I'm he pretty had, sure. He had hamstring after hamstring after hamstring injury. That's what killed him. But I'm pretty sure overall the production ended up being like a, a net positive. He was a 112 diversity plus, the, the highest since 2020. So, like, that's for those who don't know, 100 is league average. And he and Yastrzemski put up a 112. I think Yaz is like, he's a guy that I always I forget about. I'm like, oh, I put him up top of my queue and then I always miss out on him. But he's a guy that I really like, oh, yeah, he's like, he should be going closer to where Lamont Wade's going. And you're getting him almost what 80 picks later. That's a, I feel like that's a like a, a, a mismarket for sure. That's going to correct. I don't know how much more it corrects. Min picks four fifty five. Maybe talking him up a little bit because I don't think I don't think anyone's talked him up because I mean let's be honest, it's Mike Yastrzemski. He's not fun. But we're talking about playing time. We're talking about a little bit of pop. I think he checks those boxes because we're all we're checking boxes right now. And and I think that he's being a little overlooked. So I see. I think he'll rise up closer to Lamont Wade or probably should be. And that wouldn't be a mistake because why is he going? So he's going four ninety lately, right? Let's see where Conforto's yep. going. Before I was going 409. Why is there a hundred? Why is there a 90 or 80 pick difference between them? No idea. And what, honestly, why is Conforto going first? That's a <laughs> great. Well, because a lot of one reason is Conforto, was, at least last year, was healthier than yes, I guess. 
And if he, people still hold out hope that Conforto can be this big power bat, which I, I just don't think he'll ever be. I'm with you. Like, I won't be drafting any Conforto. I just won't do I, it. I I'd rather one. gamble. I'd rather gamble on Yaz at a better price. Yes. Well, that's the thing. But even if Yaz, even me talking up Yaz, I'm sure someone's screaming "Shut up!" because they don't want. Because it's a it's a hidden. If you look at what's around here, I don't see anybody else who clearly stands out for playing time. At least with Yaz, Colton Cowser has question marks. Luis Matos has question marks. This is why I was saying there's so much upside here, and people are taking these upside picks. Tyrone Taylor was a better pick up until they made it crowded, but I still think Taylor can find regular playing time sooner than later with injuries and underperformance. Jock Peterson doesn't have a team yet, but very similar. Like I, I understand taking Jock ahead of him because you assume whoever he signs with, strong side platoon. Seth Brown, I like better than Yaz. I'm okay with that. These are just names in the area. I'm just throwing out names right now. But Yaz is very underappreciated at this cost, and I have no problem talking. I have no problem taking him earlier than the ADP. With that the, the not 490 ADP, the, the men pick of 455 is probably more appropriate. And if his and but I wouldn't see. I'm telling you who I like. If you want to jump him up to pick 400. Do you boo? I'll, I'll settle on any other. I'll, I'll settle on other names right on here. That's why it's like I don't like. I was I was on. I'm not gonna lie to you. A little tangent. I was a little apprehensive coming on here and giving you my picks because I still have so many drafts to do. I decided to do three more DCs because I can't t- say no. Um, I just started another one. I got the I got bets at five. I'm actually pretty happy about that. That's the first pick and only pick so far. But uh, yeah, so it's like it was one of those things where I don't know, but I realized. Rob D, I, I shouted him out on the last podcast too. Just his his the way he looks at it, like I'll tell you who I like. You just have to be willing to take him before me. And if you are, mm-hmm. I'll just take. I have I have Plan B, C, and D in the chamber. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. So, yep. plus, who's really taking my picks? I mean, maybe some people appreciate the names. We'll especially, look into them more. Especially looking like that, who would take your picks? Yeah, let's be real. Come on, um, Big Bobby Cox approves, baby. Yep, uh, in this range, like Brady Singer is my boy, but I like I like. Uh, I like Drew Thorpe quite a bit. Um, I like Brady Singer too, by the way. So you're yeah. not alone, at least. Thank you. At least, like, and the, second like, half Bloom, Bloomfield, Bloomfield like understands my logic, but he still can't stomach it. Like, it's it's funny. Well, it's but, gross. Uh, <laughs> but at the price point, man, at the price point, I'll take well, that chance. I think. W- w- remember last year? We were talking. I remember texting about it, so I'd have to double check it. But there was a little bit of a velo bump before the injury. Yeah, before the injury, and he upped his usage of a third pitch. Yeah. So there was a little and bit. Then of, like, it went away after his his injury, and he needs to bring it back because. That was the one thing Hastings talked about on the on the Kansas City preview was um, Singer didn't think he needed a third pitch, and they're trying to convince him he does because he obviously does, and uh, that's the big project this offseason. Everyone knows him it, utilizing but him. Yeah. So yeah. So he he so starting in July, the changeup was seven point five percent, eight point one percent in August, and then back down to four point seven yep. as he leaned back onto the sinker. As the sinker. He, but how much of that was how much of that was the injury? Was he saying screw it? Was, it I think it was injury related. Is my two cents. That's what I'm thinking. Like because I remember he was. I, you could tell like the final three or four starts, he was like laboring through him with that shoulder. Yeah. Like his, his velo dip. There. His no velo was out there. His velo was down. Like the velo gain he made in the second half, that little one yep. was um disappeared. It just yeah, it went. He went back down like a mile per hour. So yeah, he shouldn't have been on the mound. It was bad on the Royals and bad on their former coaching staff. So like I say, former for a reason. But yeah, I like Singer. I like Drew Thorpe though. If you want to start taking chances yeah. on young pitchers, threw almost 140 innings in the minors last year. Padres need pitching. Like right now, they have Randy Vasquez and um, freaking uh, Pedro Avila as their four and five. Like you know, you like Michael King, you like you Darvish. But let's just be real, they aren't the pillars of health or innings. Right now, like Darvish threw the most innings last year out of anybody in the rotation with 136. So they will need another pitcher. So that's um, that's where I think that we uh, could utilize some Drew Thorpe in this one. Other than that, though, like there are some fun spots here, but 
Um, like if you want to take a gamble on a Curtis Mead upside late in drafts, sure. But you mentioned Seth Brown. I think that's a, that's a really good one. Our boy Yvonne Herrera is down here. If you want to mm-hmm. catch your three, like that's obviously a really good one to target. So is Miguel Amaya. So you can get your catcher three in this range. Get one of the two and walk away. So, yeah, lot, lots of options in this range that I, I don't think are too shabby at all. What do you like in five to five fifty? Um, let me look at it first. <laughs> oh yeah, you think I prepared? So Shelby Miller, a min pick of one ninety. That was a mistake. <laughs> but uh, someone got really excited about that when they must have thought it was uh, well. The news you heard the news come out like he was talking about like oh yeah he could factor, factor right into the back end of that. I think I think this is appropriate pricing. That news came out. I was on the I was like two. Remember I was on the I was in your I was in the DC with you and I was like please yeah. don't tell Bloom about the news because he picked like you already Speaking picked of Bloom. And was, Bloom's in the, Bloom's in the yeah. chat saying Curlin take your shades off and join this two hour DC. Listen, listen, I'm looking at the camera for you here, Bloom. If you watch back at this, I put the glasses down. You're not ready for this business, buddy. Like, we're not, we're not going to go there. I'm just going to put them back up and get back to work. Get this work, son. Get this. No. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> I have problems. I have so many problems. People, how, how does anybody put up with me? My poor wife. At least my kids relate to me because I'm their age. In my I was brain. about to say, you act their age is the difference. Uh, that was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, imagine if I use the voice. Up. If I use yeah, the voice, it'd be better. Yeah, don't anyway, do it. No, I know. We talked about it. It comes off really poorly. Um, yeah. So Shelby Miller, I like this price if he stays around here, but it, I went to go look for him recently in the D.C., like in one of the ones that's in this range, and he was already gone. I'm like, oh, if, if he's getting pushed up even higher than like – because I, I wonder what the true min pick is. I, I got to go – we got to somehow filter out that draft at the 190 because I bet you he's probably going around the 400s and stuff, but I think this is yeah. still appropriate. I know the idea of – like if you're chasing saves, I get it. but I, I, So I do like him. But I also like Griffin Jacks right here. This is where, if you haven't noticed, I, I take my, Griffin I take my shots here. I don't think Wusuk goes going to stay here anymore. Kirby Yates, I, I like taking my shot on safe specs in this range. Uh, ben Joyce, even these are just teams like right here in this range. Why not take it? Like if you're if you're looking for just a chance at some saves, Crochet's another name. I know he's factored in the past. Um, yeah, if you notice, like this range has a whole lot of like like take your shots on some like pitching upside. But other than that. I'm try- uh, Kiermaier I land on a bit just because you know he's going to play five out of seven probably for uh, for uh, Toronto. He's going to play a lot. Yeah. The, the defense. That defense gets you in there. So, again, we're talking about a guy just to pad the, the outfield. DeLuca, finally. I, DeLuca for Tampa this time, not for the uh, yeah. Dodgers. <laughs> um, yeah, see, I found myself like here. I'm just kind of like – I like Kobe Mayo. He never makes it this far. Like the ADP's here, but I've never been in a draft where I look in 500s and he's there. And I used to be guilty of taking him, so I understand that Kobe Mayo is a – he's just a lot of fun. He's an upside play there. But uh, Kyle Isbell, I know – I think he's – actually, I, I don't want to talk about him. But you're going to talk about him. But um, he's a guy that just – he's underappreciated because that playing time is more secure than people realize. Yep. But, yeah, yeah, a lot, um, man. There's a lot of – it's hard to really pick one person here just because – it's, it's, really good, pick, it's good to throw pick, options out there though, because like because I think Kyle Kyle Farmer, you didn't even mention he's oh, his eligibility and Jason the, Hayward. The twins get hurt so much. It's there. Hayward and his platoon is intriguing at this point. I, in the draft. I have a lot of Hayward actually. I keep take I actually usually jump his ADP from here. I'm I'm the guy a lot of people hit similar to like you mentioned with with um was it Dorby or whatever. Um Hayward's always gone before this region in my drafts. Uh, yeah, he, I'm he the guy taking him in the 400s. Like his min pick yeah. is 477. I don't know if that's me, but I'm close. Like I can tell you right, I I couldn't tell you right this second where I took him in this last one I'm in, but it was close to that. It was closer to the 477 than it is the 551. I have no problem because I believe that he's going to be playing mostly full time against righties at least to start. He, he could lose the job and it could be a terrible pick, but I'm chasing a pl- path to playing time here, and I think 
So that's why I've argued my point for Hayward. Plus, I told you how good his splits were. Like, I didn't break down the exact splits. I actually tweeted it out the other day. So it's like I know I have the number somewhere. But it's one of those things where I believe the I believe in what we saw last year to a point, and I think he will be useful throughout the year in in spurts. I'm with you. Anyway, yeah, that's Jason Hayward. <laughs> I like the Deluca and Jack's calls on there as well. But uh, Will Warren, if you want to take a gamble on a young pitcher, he's a guy. The one guy we won't see here much longer is Wu Suck Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ADP is 519. He's got as high as 316 as the Padres signed him, and he's the likely closer in that scenario. So keep him in mind if he somehow falls and have fun. But I love the Kiermeyer call. There's Nick Anderson, who I mentioned if you want to pair him up. But it's Kyle Isbell for me. This is the dude that uh, is going to be the primary one of the primary outfielders. In center field, he's supposed to be the primary center fielder for the Royals. His defense is very, very good. So that's why they want him out there. And if he can hit at all, we're talking 15-15 guy, uh, maybe even more if he really gets it going. But he'll play every day for the Kansas City Royals. And again, this late in the draft, that is so hard to find that kind of playing time consistently. Like we're, We were liking Hayward because he's going to platoon. Isbell's going to play pretty much every single day, which is which is outstanding at this range. So, yeah, he, he's the guy I like at, uh, in the five, oh, 500 to 550 range. Who do you like at 550 to 600? Oh, I skipped that range. I went right to 600 plus. Um, <laughs> of course, I'm an overachiever. You know, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting, getting ready, getting ahead. 550 to 600. Oh, I hate these names. It's not as good. As <laughs> okay, some of these so other ranges. Yeah, I have this good. guy on three of three teams and likely going to be 404. Unless someone takes him, by all means, feel free to. But it's Paul Blackburn. I just, I, I just. He's going to pitch. He's going to give me inning, useful innings. We've seen Paul Blackburn go through stretches of being very useful in the past. I don't see why it's it's no harm taking him here. There's very little upside, but I think we underappreciate the floor he offers at in this range. So Paul Blackburn's kind of the guy I almost default to him and McCutcheon. But the problem with McCutcheon, he's UT only. Yeah, there's word that he'll play some outfield. Last year in 112 games, and this is something we just looked up for the show, was um, I think it was 112 games he, he appeared in, only eight outfield appearances. So if you draft Otani, you can't draft McCutcheon because you're just never, unless Otani gets injured, you have no path to playing him, and I don't see him getting eligibility uh, that quick. So McCutcheon's a guy that very he's going to play, and he's going to do well enough. I think, I think he's going to play enough to have relevance at, in certain spots throughout the year. But what I don't see is a clear path to him getting the eligibility, whereas some of these UT-only guys can gain eligibility, and you kind of project that into taking them. Like, I believe Mark Vantos is another name up here. Like, you can kind of look at him, okay, he's UT-only, but then you can see a path to him gaining eligibility. So you have to know that with McCutcheon that there's it's, the eligibility might come, but it might come in the second half if you're lucky for the whole second half. But I think it's more likely to be like a, again, just based on last year's usage and trends of, of him playing the outfield. So those two yeah. names, though, those, those guys I land on a lot. For me, you had your Blackburn. I take my Luis Medina. I, yeah. I got the A. I have a ton of him as well. You know, the walks are horrific. That's that's his downfall. That's what limits his innings. But good strikeout stuff improved as the season went along. And just, you know, overall um, velocity, pit, all the pit, the things you want to see a young pitcher do, he improved on. The inning should be there for him. He should be another 150-ish guy for the Oakland A's this year. So I just take him late and hope he figures it out because – he got called up. He was one of the high prospects that got called up before Mason Miller and everything, and it just uh, didn't work out quite as well. But he's super young and could be pretty nice. 600 to 650. Um, This is where I get my catcher three every time right now because Max Stassi just lives here. Yes. And <laughs> so I've been – I just took him as my catcher three Um, earlier than this, actually, because I'm – I guess the price hasn't – I mean, the min pick is 499. So I think he's slowly moving up. But – 
people forget how good he was and i don't care how good he was i just care that he's a catcher <laughs> so unfortunately i try to get him I, I he's better probably he's probably better as a catcher for to be honest mm. but at the end of the day i think he's going to be a starter how healthy will he stay i don't know that's why it's like if you bank on him as a catcher three you better really like your first two catchers because <laughs> he is his playing time isn't even guaranteed because he's just not a healthy person and people that are concerned about maldonado you shouldn't be just because if you look Go up and look at Maldonado's defense. It hasn't been, it wasn't what everyone thinks it was last year. Like it just wasn't good. So Maldonado, I don't think he's like, oh, well, he's the defensive guy. No, I think they're gonna split pretty heavily because Stassi just can't stay healthy. But I think Stassi is the starter and definitely the better guy offensively. And maybe you want to back up Stassi. You can pair if you want to go just catcher three, four here. You could take Stassi and Lee, and you can kind of just like, and I know Lee's the third guy in line, but I'm pretty sure Lee would get the call if Stassi went down type of thing, if for nothing else to be a backup catcher. So at least you're getting some plate appearances, not taking zeros. So that's kind of a strategy you can employ there. But I like I like to try to go three catchers. I usually don't do four. Yeah. And Stassi, I've been fine with taking as my three. Yep, that's totally fine. Uh, the guy I'm targeting in this range is J.J. Blade. Yeah. Should play pretty much every day in the outfield for the A's. I know it's a guy we liked last year um regular playing time power some speed really good play discipline it's just a matter of uh hitting for average which i think he underachieved last year personally i think there's more to liking with jj bladay so i'll take my chances at this point in the draft as like a you know almost when your last outfielders picked for a guy that could end up being uh, useful from time to time throughout the season 650 to the end who you like? It's, so there's it, a lot it, of. There's I'm a lot just gonna of say I already here. talked about my guy Richie Palacios, so I'm done. Is he, yeah, I already covered yeah. him. Yeah, we we covered him pretty well actually. Yeah. So um, last guy, and it's a guy that's been drafted zero times over this over this range, and it's a guy that um has been drafted six out of 55 DCs. So he's not he's barely being touched. But I just doing the roster stuff, doing the lineup stuff. It's name that popped up as just somebody I can easily see a path of playing time. Um, I can see him playing multiple positions. He's only UT only, but I can easily see a path to gaining MI slash outfield because last year he played center field in the minors. He's played shortstop and second base in the minors throughout the last couple of years. And, you know, we're talking about the twins. It's a twins prospect. We're talking about a, t- a twins team that wants to trade um, Polanco and looking to cut salary. Austin Martin, former prospect of note. I feel like he was a guy that, was talked about at least with some hype at once upon a time, probably back when he was in Toronto before he got traded. And just look at his numbers, a 14.3% walk rate and a 17.1% K rate in, in AAA for uh, in 252 plate appearances last year. So yeah, only 59 games. I'm pretty sure injury. I, I see. I have to look more into him even because I'm like, I didn't realize he only played 59. I know he played. I knew there was a lot of play appearances, but he went from A to AAA. I hope he finished healthy either way. 16 for 20 on the base pass, so we know he can still bases. And what I'm looking at here is a path to playing time, which is there because I just mentioned why. The team that's going to shave off some salary and open up playing time in the middle field and likely need an outfielder when Kepler gets hurt. Um, so there's two paths right there. A guy that has nothing really left to prove in the minors. Like I know it's only 59 games at AAA, but hitting 263 with really – I just mentioned the strong plate discipline numbers, really, really promising for, for a guy like Martin. The ability to play multiple positions and the uh i don't know there's a, there's a carrying tool that's what i was getting the carrying tool the fact that the speed is there the speed uh there's a, a speed and a plus hit tool paired together I just, i'm looking up to see if he's injury injured see so, yeah, maybe if, maybe this is gonna be good for us oh uh, no the uh, there's no uh oh ucl sprain that's what happened but in june of last year so he should be, he should be back by the start of the year then 
He should be right. back. Could be a nice little late flyer with the, like I said, with the Kyle Farmer part. Lots of injuries in Minnesota, year in and year out. So playing time opens up throughout the season. Like if they were ever to stay healthy, they might be one of the best teams, uh, definitely in the Central. So uh, it'll be something worth monitoring for sure. I think he came back last year. I think he came back in the middle of the year last year, last year actually. Yeah. yeah, July 3rd. Looks like he came back in the in July. So, yeah, so he's healthy. So, yeah, that was, I guess, okay, so Austin Martin is healthy, and it goes back to the just, I'm just curious to see, like, I have no shares, but he, I came across his name while doing the lineup stuff, and I'm like, if there's a team that has an opening for a utility type for, like, this felt like a very Willie Castro type of player where you're getting speed, there's a path to batting average, and if he plays, then that can play up, you know what I mean? So, and if you look, he had, like, the power is really not a thing, but stolen bases, he stole 34 in 2022 at double a 16 last year in limited playing time. So there's a carrying tool path to playing time. Those are the types of things I like to look at in my round 50 guys. And he is around 50 guys. So if somebody wants to jump in 49, 48, you're probably going to get him because I'm not going to go out of my way to get him because I don't think he's a must get, but he's a guy that I want to get a couple shares of. And he's very, very, he's one of those guys that if he pops and sh- does something, he's going to be very low rostered. Almost like um you do it. You do DFS. What are those called? SGPs or whatever they're called. <laughs> See, I don't know nothing about that. Oh, uh, that's SGP standard gauge points. Yeah, <laughs> whatever they call it. Oh called, uh, man, help no. me out here. I don't do DFS. No, I just it's, I'm just messing with you. Totally made me like skip my brand. There's cash games and uh, I call them GPPs. GPPs. G- yes, that's what. It is. That's why I knew it was a GP. Pool, guaranteed prize pool. Tournament. Yeah, you see, you see my brains on the projection stuff. But anyway, so it's you know when you play those types of things, having that low rostered guy that pops really makes a difference. I think this guy, I don't think this guy has that type of upside to pop in Austin Martin, but I do think Martin has at least the ability to be enough of a difference maker to be like, wow, I have these stats where I know like vast majority don't. So I think it's just a fun name that there's a clear path to utilization and clear path to profit considering where you're taking them. And I don't know. It's just, just, a, just a fun, again, he's not someone you have. Like I won't be, even after this, I'm not gonna go out of my way to draft him on every team. Cause there's other guys I really like. I like the idea of Joey Ortiz getting traded and having an opening spot. And I'm giving out other names that are actually more relevant, probably. Um, Barger, in, in, I, I, I was a Barger guy last Barger year. In I'm, Toronto. I'm back in on Barger this year in Toronto. Or, yeah. or Elvis Martinez, also in Toronto. Yeah. There's a lot of guys. You know me and my boy Jake Alou. He's sitting yeah. in this range. Dual you eligible. Jake Alou. He's also, he's also dual eligible. I think. See, I don't think yeah. he's going to start for them. I think he's going to be more of their util type. He'll start against like four out of every six righties or something stupid like that. But he'll be a super utility type. The glove can play. The bat's good enough. So it's one of those things where, like, I th- I've been getting a lot of Joey Votto just because he ha- doesn't have a home yet. But if he signs with Toronto, he's gonna shoot up ADP, be closer to the four, probably closer to Carlos Santana range. Where does point. Joey Votto play though? Even if he signs with Toronto, DH, DH-ing? yeah, just like they treated Brandon Belt last year. Okay, think about. I mean, that's, I just look at like a Brandon Belt role. Yeah, like where Brandon Belt was playing every day when he was healthy. That's the thing. So I think Votto signs, and he's gonna be a strong side platoon partner. But you're getting him so late. It's one of those things where I'll mix him in there if I don't have first base depth. Like I've, I have a couple shares of, of Votto, um, not a must get, but these are all. Like, there's a reason why these guys are going at the end of your drafts because none of these guys are must get. Like it's very rare. I look at a guy like, oh man, I need him on every single team because there's just so many names here I can dream on. Alexander Canario, like I know he doesn't have a path of playing time in Chicago, but man, that's a fun name. The skill set is there, and we've seen him flash yep. in the minors. Like if he gets if he gets traded or part of, dealt in a deal and gets it finds a path of playing time, he's gonna be a steal here. So it's just like. I don't know, man. I can give you 30 names here. It wouldn't matter. I'd rather <laughs> because, we don't, but yeah. But yeah, well, yeah, I can give you. I said I'd give you 30 names. I didn't say the, the audience. No, I'm saying I, I know you have to go too, but I'm talking about in general. Like, I could, my point is, is that there's so many names here that Austin Martin is a fun name, but don't make him like, oh, just add him to your list of, let me get a share or two and see what happens. 
Yeah, no, I, I, this is the time to take your chances if you are a chance taker uh, late in the in the draft. There's a ton of prospects, as Curl mentioned, that you can uh, take your looks at as well. So hopefully the exercise is kind of fun to open up your eyes to a lot of players that are down here because DCs, they're fun, but you get towards the end, it's just like, oh, man, like, what are we doing here? Are we getting, like, what do we need, this, that, and the other? It gets, start looking at names, like, am I really drafting this guy? And so it's kind of a, a fun conversation to at least be had of uh, why we might draft some of these guys so uh, any final thoughts, Curlin or Big Bobby Cox, before we uh, we head on out of here? Um, No, I think that's going to do it. I, I've talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, make sure you check out Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin and check out MLBPlaneTime.com to get all the latest updates on playing times, rosters, and much, much more. But until next time, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 627. Catch you all later. Yeah.